0: Welcome to Corestruction, the podcast of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. I'm your host, Brandon Parrish. Today, I am at the Skiatook Lake office, and I am here with Randy Clifton. And Randy is uh, the lead ranger and assistant lake manager here right now. Um, and you're from Uluga, Oklahoma, right, right mm-hmm. Randy? Yes. Thank you for joining us for Corestruction.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So, it's the... Uh, Memorial Day weekend, today's mm-hmm. Saturday, and um, here at Skytook, the lake is actually a little bit low, so can you talk about some of the challenges that uh, recreators are going to have if they're boating especially or or even swimming out
1: there? Yeah, yeah, so we're a little over five foot low right now. Um, that poses a lot of risks, so Skytook in general already has some sandbars that already stick out pretty far, and we have a lot of danger buoys that identify those um those being even lower we have even more sandbars and even more obstructions and standing timbers and rocks and all sorts of other stuff that's exposed that typically isn't or that are just just hiding below the the water surface as well um we have a lot of people from out of town that come in over the holiday weekends they don't know the lake they don't know that we're low they don't know what some of these buoys mean um, it, it just it poses a bigger risk. We have with especially with increased vegetation over holiday weekends.
0: And all the swim beaches are closed. Right so now.
1: here at Skytook, yes. So we operate two different lakes. Um, the Skytook office does. So Skytook runs um, both Skytook Lake and also Birch Lake. So Birch isn't as low as Skytook, and both of their swim beaches are open. But um, Skytook, they're both they're both still closed from the low water. It's it's all beach and no swim right now.
0: And I would imagine one of the challenges here is we were talking about this when we were out um, doing some boater interaction mm-hmm. today and life safety, life jacket um, safety checks. Um, this is one of those, the, the area, mm. the watershed here. Mm-hmm. So I imagine it's a little bit challenging here because the watershed here is relatively small it's compared to a small. lot of a lot mm-hmm. of lakes in our district. So, so even if you get a lot of rain, sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't fill up quite like other lakes do can you talk about that
1: so the way the watershed works is a lot of people the way they I guess envision how all that works is that you have to have a whole bunch of rain on top of the lake well that's not I mean it, it helps we get some but the watershed actually is over what flows into the lake so the skyatooks watershed is very 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 small compared to some other lakes um, in the tulsa district so we get hit with just enough rain in our watershed we pop up pretty fast but if we don't there's negative effects to that as well so when we're in a drought like we are now since we do have such a small watershed it's harder to hit that and be able for our lake levels to rise
0: and i would imagine also um you were talking about how this, I mean, this lake tends to be deeper in general. It, it's mm-hmm. kind of in a, like around a lot of, I guess, mountains or hills, or it, it, there's, there's a lot of outcroppings here I've noticed. Um, when the lake level drops like that, I mean, it, 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 it has a lot of those hills that are underwater, right? That, that you see, you were talking about sandbars, right?
1: Yeah. There's some sandbars that stick out. Yeah. um, It, it just, it poses more of a risk whenever we're lower, um, we drop down lower and yeah, <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> and, and so people don't expect that, I wouldn't think either.
1: No, because Skytook is notorious for being so deep in some parts, but people that are aware or people that are familiar with the lake, they know the areas, but a lot of people we're we're used to being high. So we're used to having high water, and they're used to having to look out for those kind of obstructions, but now that we're low, we're looking for for other things. We're looking for um, stuff that we wouldn't typically see rather than uh, an area that's flooded and that that is typically on dry land, and now there's water there, and now we, we have to watch out for that. But now we're looking for obstructions that we don't see, stuff that is typically underwater and is now not or is in shallower water.
0: And you, we, ha- we were talking about the, I was talking about the outcroppings just a second ago. And you sometimes have problems where people want to jump off of cliffs into the yes. water. Mm-hmm. And can you talk about, I guess, even today, you, you had to stop somebody, right?
1: Yeah, actually, today, after, after we dropped you guys off, um, we continued our boat, control, boat patrol. And um, we actually came around the corner right when we think maybe somebody might have was uh, fixing to jump off. They were still dry, so we were actually to, er, there to prevent that and uh, educated them on why why the dangers of jumping off cliffs. So most people think, well, there's no obstructions down there. I've jumped here for 20 years. Um, it's not that big of a deal. I'm a great swimmer. Well, yes and no. So especially in a high water event, that water's moving, and in drought, the water's receding, um, there's so much movement in the water, you don't know, you could have jumped there the day before, and there could be an obstruction there now, there could be a tree that drifts up underneath there, you, you just don't know, there's so many there's so many ifs, and um, sometimes it's not even what you hit when you go underwater, it's not how shallow the water is, it's how you hit the water, um, if you try to do a flip, or even if you just land wrong, and you become disoriented, and, and you swim the wrong way, and you think you're swimming up and you're swimming down and, and you don't come back up. So, mm-hmm.
0: what, um, what are you seeing today? I mean, when we got out there, it was relatively early. Mm-hmm. The, the, um, the parking lot, where, where the boat ramp parking lot area, it wasn't really full when we got there. It was starting to fill up as we were leaving. Are you still seeing when you got your boat patrol on? Did, were you, did it seem like it was starting to get busier?
1: Yes, yes, especially on Saturdays, it's, it's slower in the mornings and then towards the afternoon until dusk it just gets busier and busier and busier and people are, are drinking more and more and more so you see that level of intoxication just rise throughout the day um, and into the evening. So the, rest, the risks there even increase even more because you have more and more visitation, you have more people on the water, you have more people that are not familiar with the lakes um, and you're adding more alcohol to everything and that's just it's, it's not a good recipe. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And that's why we always tell people, you know, if you're going to be imbibing, um, you need to have a a designated boating driver. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, can you talk about what people need to have on their boat Mm -hmm. when they're out there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, things that we require is a throwable flotation device whether that's the typical life ring that you see or a um, soft throwable cushion Um, either one of those work but it needs to be something that you can throw in case somebody is in is in need and and you need to uh, help them back to the vessel Um, you need to have a fire extinguisher that is still in date and in serviceable condition Um, you also need to have a sound making device on your boat. So most boats already have those kind of built in, um, like a horn, um, or an air horn or whistle can do as well. Um, and the big one are life jackets. You need to, we like you to have extra, um, we on the core boats, we always have extras that we can hand out if, if we run into someone that's that short one or, or one that doesn't fit properly. Um, but it's a legal requirement. You have to have a Life jacket for each individual on the boat, and it has to fit each individual on the boat. So a lot of times, whenever we do vessel inspections, we'll ask someone to show us a life jacket, and they'll dig through their compartments and they'll find um, they'll show us some life jackets that are either too big, too small, or an inflatable type. And if it doesn't fit you properly, it, it does you no good. But the inflatables are a common misconception. Just because you have it, it's not considered a life jacket until it is physically on you. So those if you're gonna wear an inflatable, inflatables are awesome, especially for fishing. Um, you wear hard. them. We do. Yes, that's yeah. all we wear. We wear the inflatables. It's it's easy to do our work. It's easier to. I mean, they're comfortable. You you don't even know they're there anymore. They're they're awesome, um, but it's the older crowd that, the older crowd that. Oh, I've I'm I've been swimming in this lake forever. I I'm fine. I don't need a life jacket. Th- that's where it really comes in handy. It's the older crowd, the the fishermen that that. They're the ones that really benefit from the inflatables. Those are the ones that we target with, with that specific type of life jacket.
0: Then let's talk about why it's so important for you to have a properly fitted life jacket.
1: Yes. So we go into schools and and we treat, we teach these kids all these, these scenarios too. Um, But it's important to also teach the the parents because if we teach the kids and, and they don't have the properly fitting life jacket, I mean, it. It doesn't do them any good if, if the parents aren't educated as well. So if you wear a life jacket that's too small for you, then the buoyancy is off and you're too heavy for the life jacket and you're it won't keep you afloat. And if you wear a life jacket that's much too large for you, you'll slip right out of it. It's almost like not wearing it at all.
0: And the uh, the fire extinguishers, mm-hmm. how often do you all recommend people get theirs checked? Uh, yearly. Annually? hmm and that's part of, is that something you check the tags to see if they're
1: typically, no, we, we typically just like to see, see the the fire extinguisher. Um, but we do recommend that you check them annually.
0: And if you have a inflatable mm-hmm. that has to be not inflated. Yes. I mean, if it's one of the automatic, like <laughs> yeah, CO2 like, cartridge. Like we inflatable. checked somebody
1: today and he was wearing an inflatable that had already been inflated. So mm-hmm. those things are one-time use. Once you use it, you can't – it won't automatically inflate. Now, you can still manually inflate them. Uh, Each of them have a little straw in them, uh, and you can still manually inflate them, but it doesn't help you if if you get thrown off the boat and you're you're, um, unconscious or something. I mean, you're not able to blow it up yourself. So um, you need to make sure that it hasn't been inflated. It's still in serviceable condition. Um,
0: Yeah, because even the bladders in those things, I imagine, you know, once they – once they expand right like especially if you've had it out in the hot sun all day though and it's inflated you've got
1: yeah sometimes potential
0: for i guess it going bad or something
1: yeah so they have most of them have a little indicator on it or a little indicator light and so you want to make sure that that indicator light is green not red um they have expiration dates on them a lot of them are still good past their expiration dates but we here at the core we don't use them until after uh, or we don't use them after they are expired. So most of them are good for probably three years. Each refill cartridge is. Um, so you can reuse your actual inflatable once it has gone off. You have to recharge it with a new recharge kit.
0: The um, the campgrounds are. Are you seeing a lot of people? Are they full or are, they, are yes. you are you sold out?
1: Yes, on holiday weekends we stay pretty full. Mm-hmm.
0: And. You were talking, I think, about how um, you guys, you have full staff today, especially, right?
1: Yeah. So the holiday
0: weekends, you're you're fully staffed pretty much.
1: Holiday weekends, anybody that's not typically on weekends like myself and uh, like Matt um, Schaffenhauer, the the acting lake manager here right now, um, we're we're both in uniform. We're both out here uh, helping out as much as we can, and uh, we're on extended hours. So um, we're out here working eight to 12-hour days uh, alongside all of our other staff. So it's, it's holiday weekends. It's all hands on deck.
0: Yeah. Uh, and especially for, I think with, with, and you may have mentioned this already, but with life jackets,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, kids have to have a life jacket on on mm-hmm. a boat, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Whether underway or not, kids are required, under the age of 16, kids are required to always have a life jacket on and not an inflatable, an actual type 3 life jacket.
0: What, what kind of stuff are you all looking for when you're out when you're out patrolling during and not just on the boat but mm-hmm. I mean even when you're when you're driving around looking what kind of stuff are, are you all doing when you're out there
1: so when we're when we're out patrolling um, on the boat some things that we really look for um, we look for um, boats maxing out capacity uh, I think we talked about it earlier that pontoon boats have a giant capacity so a lot of the times we get closer to a pontoon boat and think that they are over capacity and they're not but um, we also find those little john boats that only have a capacity of like two or three and they're it's easy to overload those so there's a reason that those that those capacity plates are on your vessel and they also have it's it's not either or most of them will say a weight requirement or a person requirement it's it's not either or or it's not both it's it's either or so if you hit that with your person um, it's it's not you don't wait till you hit it with your uh, weight requirement too so your max capacity there something else we look for is jet skis um, there's a lot of accidents that happen with jet skis so. A lot of those are also over capacity. So most jet skis are only rated for two or three people, and that also includes the people on um, if they're pulling a jets or if they're pulling a skier or a tuber or anything like that. That includes the people on the tubes. So if there is an emergency and you have three people on a tube and two people on your jet ski, you're not going to fit all those people back on your jet ski. So you have to be able to include all the people on your inner tube or on your Uh, water skiing they all have to be able to fit back on your on your jet ski so that's something else that we look for Um, also type of life jackets there's several different types of life jackets and that is also common that we find we find people on an inner tube or out skiing with the horseshoe type those those orange horseshoe type life jackets that just kind of wrap around your neck and you snap in this one little belt around your those are for boating or for wading. those are not rated they have to be impact tested and they are not rated to be using for um, water sporting by any means if you were to fall off a tube or to fall off a um a ski skiing accident or anything like that. Those, those life jackets will just float right over your head. So those are a few things that we look for, mainly safety violations. Um,
0: what are some of the, the common things people do that they should not be doing when they're boating or even jet skiing?
1: Um, I think the biggest one that we run into almost every stop is that are your life jackets are not within reach so you're still in compliance that you have your life jacket requirements on you but you have to dig for them they're not within reach Um, if there wasn't a case of an emergency you're either out of luck or you're having to dig through your compartments to try to find those life jackets and who knows how much time you might actually have in the case of an emergency so that's the something that we find the absolute most is people not having complete access to their life jackets.
0: You're from the Oologah Lake office yes. originally, right? Mm-hmm. And you actually grew up in Oologah, Oklahoma. Yeah,
1: that in correct? that in the area, Oologah, Claremore area. Mm-hmm. And
0: you're a second generation park ranger. Can you tell us about what that's like?
1: Yeah, it's it's awesome. There's it, it comes with a, a lot of passion. So it's it's the only thing I've ever imagined myself ever doing. Um, I get to wear my mom's badge every day, so there's there's a lot of passion and and a lot of heart that goes into into this job, and I I don't see myself ever doing anything else.
0: What is that? Why you wanted to be a park
1: ranger? Yes, it is. Um, ever since I was little, I thought my mom's job was the coolest thing ever. So, <laughs> my whole life has, has come to has has led me to this specific position. <laughs> Believe it or not.
0: And and coming from Oologah, that's yeah. a Completely different setup in terms of a lake com- from Skytook, right? Mm-hmm. So, can you talk about that? Because Ulaga is, I mean, here it seems like you probably get some wind, but Ulaga is notorious for wind, and yes. um, it's also it tends to be a shallower lake, right?
1: It is. I mean, it's it doesn't have the sandbars and the in the those hazard areas like SkyTook does. Even though Skiatook, even though Ulega is um, a lot shallower, but took is deeper um Uluga'a doesn't isn't doesn't have those large depth areas that or that Ulaga does um, it's it's not as big of a recreation lake it's more of a small town fishing lake so we have that, that older quieter crowd out of Ulagas so even if we look like we're we're crowded it it's not It's not all that there's not, there's not all that, the party crowd out there. When, (laughs) when it seems like sky tooks more of the younger, wilder crowd out here,
0: (laughs) but, and you have the goat Island out there.
1: We do. do. Everybody asks us about the goat Island. That, that Island is leased out to the Marina there and they put the goats out on the water or out on the lake, not on the (laughs) lake, on the Island. (laughs) Uh, and actually, it's it's one of the prettiest looking properties we've got. They they've got all the trees elevated, and uh, they they've got it pretty well groomed up there. So they they take care of it.
0: I remember Lake Lanier out in Georgia. I, I don't know if they still do, but they had goats on the on the on the dam, mm-hmm. like on the berm, the the and that's how they mowed the <laughs> efficient. <laughs> for years they did. I don't know if they still do or not, but I I do remember goats being out on the wow. berm there how oh when when you all get because a lot of especially of our younger rangers like yourself um you all get moved, you tend to go different places pretty often i mm-hmm. mean relatively often um, when you get to a new a, a different lake from where you start, how long does it take for you to really get used to understanding that lake versus where you came from
1: when i figure it out I'll let you know <laughs> each lake is completely completely different now here it's a lot easier to get integrated because I knew everyone here I worked with um, one of their full-time rangers for three summers he was a summer ranger out at Ulaga with us so that helps that I was part of his his training I trying to I kind of helped uh train him and then the other full-time ranger I went to went to college with her so it was it's not near as hard to kind of integrate into this role here with, uh, such a great staff here.
0: But as far as like getting used to like, this is where we have to be mm-hmm. leery of in terms of like water hazards or, or something like that when there's a lower lake levels, mm-hmm. does that take a while to know? Or, I mean, how long does it take for you to sort of get the lay of the land, so to speak, in terms of the 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 lake itself and the Um, the camp areas yeah it
1: it takes a little while it's definitely a learning curve because you're you're used to one i mean i've i've been at ooga for six years so i've i've know that lake inside and out so it's it's different going from somewhere you're so familiar to somewhere where you're you're not you're the new person you're you're brand new you you don't know (laughs) you're not familiar with the area at all so it takes some time i'm i'm getting there i'm getting really close um but I'm still the low man on the totem pole here I, I still <laughs> I still have to ask a lot of questions about everything.
0: what uh now and when did you start at Ulaga? how long have you and it
1: was 2017
0: okay so you've you've got about five six years under your belt now mm-hmm. and and you've been here at, at Skytech for how long?
1: Almost two months. okay
0: and you'll go back after mm-hmm. or
1: I got a couple more weeks here and then they'll send me back.
0: And what is, uh, what, what is the most important thing that, that people who visit um, any lake need to know and need to be just cognizant of?
1: So the most important thing, I think everyone's goal, our goal, the public's goal is that everybody goes home safe. We don't have any close calls that we don't have. We don't have to make contact. We don't have to make those negative contacts with with families, knowing that a loved one isn't gonna go home. And that's everyone's goal at the end of the day is that everybody that shows up to the lake, leaves the lake.
0: Tell us about what what you do when you're on flood watch, what Mm -hmm. you have to do.
1: So I'm not 100% familiar with um, flood watch here because I haven't done it here at Skytook. But out at Oolagal, we have two different flood control structures. So we have the dam and we also have our auxiliary spillway. So um, in the case of like 2019, when we came to, uh, historic flooding lake levels um, we go into um, flood flood watch we go into 24 hour flood watch so everybody at our lake is on 24 hour watch so we have 12 hour shifts we have somebody come in at 6 and 6.30 and then 6.30 to 6 so we have somebody on at all times uh, we are laying eyes on our structures once every hour we're taking lake, lake level readings once every hour uh, we're calling in and talking to our engineers in the middle of the night. Um, we're checking for sand boils. Um, we're checking for cracks in our structures. We're we're checking for movement. We're checking for um, dirty water coming out the other side. Um,
0: yeah, that's what you don't want to. You don't want to see water. dirty water.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, and luckily, we didn't have any issues. We had no scares. We had no issues. Um, all of our structures look look amazing. Um, little pat on the back for the little pat on the back for the core but there has never been a core built dam that has ever failed um so if that gives you some peace of mind on on how structurally sound all of our our flood control structures are um so we're, we're pretty proud of that we're we're proud that we we had no scares we had no big big issues during that during that big flooding event
0: how many f- piezometer readings did you have to take when you were so on
1: flood watch? We had to take quite a bit. Now here at Skytook, they have like, I don't want to lie to you, but they have a, a ton. It takes all day to read theirs, and they're up in the woods. They're they're all over, um, but at Oogal, we only have eleven or thirteen. Thirteen, I'm sorry. And,
0: and can you talk about what that that does, what you're looking for when you're in a when you're doing piezometer readings mm-hmm. and you're so, taking the numbers?
1: So the piezometer is basically just a big pipe in the ground, and all we do is we're measuring groundwater. So we're measuring. We have a certain we send those numbers off to our engineer and they, they flag us if something looks, looks wrong, which we've never had an issue before. Uh, but basically you're measuring groundwater. So water is going to seep through the dam regardless. Uh, we just try to control it. And that's what we're doing. that's what the, those piezometers that, um, that uh, Brandon was talking about, um, they, it's a way for us to monitor how much is getting through. So if there's a high level, then we have a problem. If there's a low level, we have a problem. So we have a certain threshold for each different piezometer that we have in there. Um, and we take those readings during flood watch. We take them twice a shift, or once a shift, I'm sorry. So once every 12 hours uh, for flood watch, for 24-hour watch. And we send those in at whatever time it would be, like one or two in the mornings. And that we monitor it that way.
0: Now, all the... Uh all the swim beaches here are closed, right? Correct. Here at SkyTick. But typically in the summer months when they're open, mm-hmm. um, you you also have to do some some sampling for the swim beaches, right? Mm-hmm. And you send that off to the state, right? Yeah,
1: we take those samples up into the health department and they they give us the go ahead before we can really or before we can open our swim beaches. So, um, same thing for a drought situation whenever the water finally rises enough where we can open up these swim beaches we have to do several things first so we'll we'll put our boat in the water and we'll run our side scan and make sure there's no obstructions and we'll also test the waters before we allow our swim beaches to be open and that's the same thing for a flooding event whenever our waters get so high um, we close the swim beach down because we have certain regulations we can't um, allow our swim beach to be over so many feet deep um and then once the waters recede and we're able to open the swim beat back up, before we do, we do the same thing. We put our boat in the water, we use our side scan, to make sure there's no large obstructions, and we also send those water samples off to the health department.
0: Uh, really, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and, and talk to us about um, what it's like out here at SkyTook mm-hmm. and in comparison, especially to Ulaga, to yeah. which is home for you. When it you, is. I just said Ulaga, <laughs> you are like, oh, I'm not kind of like home. Well. Thank you for joining us for Corpsstruction. Corpsstruction is a production of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Public Affairs Office. This episode of Corpsstruction was brought to you by the Skytook Lake Office at the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend.